Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. If you get who Jesus is, if you realize he's the Alpha, the Omega, everything was by him and for him. You are by him and for him. If you realize that, of course, you're going to, if you're in your right mind at least, you're going to respond by, Lord, how can I do anything but but worship you and serve you? Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Hebrews. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, in a message titled, The Supremacy of the Son of God. Now, here's Pastor Brian. He is the brightness of of God's glory. Jonathan Edwards, the great American theologian from back in the 1700s, he said that the sun and and all of creation, Jonathan Edwards had an interesting take on things. You know, sometimes we look at something in creation and we say, oh, that reminds me of, you know, some some aspect of maybe God's character or nature or something like that. Jonathan Edwards says, God made creation the way he did as a, as a testimony. He's speaking through creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. The earth shows, uh, or the firmament shows his handiwork. Day into day utter speech. Night into night shows forth knowledge. So Edward says that regarding the sun, in the sun itself, you have a picture of, of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I like the way he put it. He said the Father... The sun itself, the the core of the sun is the father. The rays of the sun are Christ. And that's really what the author is saying right here. He is the radiance of God's glory. He is the brightness. He is the outshining of who God is. When you go out today and you look up into the sky and you look at the sun, what are you seeing? Well, in a sense, you're, you're seeing the sun, yes, but you're not seeing the sun. You're seeing the rays of the sun. You're seeing the radiance of the sun. And that's what the author is telling us, that Christ, he is the radiance, he is the brightness of God's glory. So it's, we see God through Christ. He is the one who is shining forth who God is. I love the passage in 2 Corinthians where Paul tells us that is a God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And then Edward said one more thing. I'll just add it. It's not uh, necessarily connected to what we're talking about, but he said the warmth of the sun is the, is the Holy Spirit. I think, oh, that's such a beautiful picture. The sun itself, the Father, the rays of the sun, the Lord Jesus, the, the warmth that we feel, that's, we experience God through the Spirit. And so he is the brightness of God's glory. And then he says he is, he is the express image of his person. What the author is saying to these Hebrews, what he's reminding them of and what he's telling us, subsequent generations, is exactly what the Bible tells us over and over again, that Jesus is the, 
human manifestation of God. He is the express image of his person, or another translation reads, he is the exact representation. And this refers to the image on a coin. This is what would have come to the mind of the reader at Paul's time. It would come to mind the image on a coin, which perfectly corresponds to the image on the die. So what the author is telling us is that Jesus is therefore completely the same in his being as the Father. However, there is still an important distinction. Both exist separately as do the die and its image. So you've got the coin with the image on it, but then you've got the die from which it was made, but the image on the coin is exactly what you have on the die. And so with Christ, Jesus said himself, he said, he that has seen me has seen the Father. So if we want to know what God is like, and we've said this many times before, but let me say it again. If you want to know what God is like, this is what you do. You open the New Testament and you read through the Gospels. You read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and as you see Jesus in action, as you see him living out his life and relating to people, and as you see his love and his mercy and his compassion and all of those things, you're seeing God. He is, he is the exact representation of his person. And then he says this, he is upholding all things by the word of his power. Now, here's the amazing thing to me in this statement here. He says he upholds currently, presently upholds all things by the word of his power. You know, the Bible does not teach that God created the universe and put a, a bunch of laws uh, into it. Uh, we call them laws of nature sometimes or laws of physics. And then he just kind of let it go off on its own. The Bible says that he is continually sustaining it. He is currently holding everything together. This is how immediately involved in the universe Christ is. He is currently holding it all together. Now, the average person today, especially the secularist, but even we as Christians, many times we use terms like the laws of nature or the laws of physics, but these are just what we call the things we observe, but don't know the why or how of these things. You know, any honest scientist will tell you when you talk about, well, they say, oh, well, that's because of the law of gravity. Well, what is that? Well, you know, that it, it, is, it is what it is. We, we, we don't know what it is. Well, why is it that way? Well, we, we really don't know why it's that way. But, but th this, is our, this is our best shot at it. See, we, we really don't know. Here, we are told that Jesus Christ is the one who sustains the universe and keeps it inhabitable for us. You wonder why everything just goes on like it goes on? why the earth is in the orbit that it's in and it stays there, why the earth rotates the way it rotates, how, how it is that we can depend on the sun rising in the morning and setting in the evening, or at least that's what it seems like it's doing to us, but it's obviously scientifically doing something a little different. But, but anyway, there's, there's this consistency. There's this, uh, we, we don't have to worry that, well, maybe we're gonna wake up tomorrow and the earth's gonna veer off of its course somewhere. 
It doesn't happen, right? It stays, everything stays the way it is. And that's because Jesus is holding it all together. Scientists today are talking more and more about what is called the fine-tuning of the universe. And there's two uh, responses to the fine-tuning of the universe. Those who believe in a creator are very excited about it. Those who don't believe in a creator are dismayed by it. But both agree that the fine-tuning of the universe is a reality. They are noting the absolute precision in distance, size, weight, gravitational force, etc. The scientists today are, are recognizing that this is a fact, that everything is so, they call it fine-tuned because it's so finely tuned that if you, if you changed it in the slightest manner, nothing would exist as we know it. Life on earth would never exist. We couldn't live if things were just slightly altered. You know, I mean, think about it. If you're boiling water, you don't, you're not all that concerned to get the, the flame at any, at a very precise point, are you? Yeah, you just turn it on, you set the water pot on there and you think, oh, it's going to boil eventually. If I turn it up, it might boil faster. If I keep it low, it'll boil slower. You're not that precise, but God's not like that. The universe isn't like that. It is very, very precise. Let me give you an example. If you could take a tape measure and stretch it across the universe, which scientists say is between 91 billion and 150 billion light years across. Now, how they figured this out, I have no idea. The universe is 91 billion light years across. Some say, no, no, it's 150 billion light years across. Okay, take a tape measure, stretch it across. Let's just say 91 billion, we'll be conservative. Light years. <laughs> now, you know, a light year is the distance that the speed of light will travel in a year. And what is it, 186,000 miles a second light goes? So 186,000 miles a second for a year is a light year. We're talking about 91 billion light years to cross the universe. We stretched a tape measure across it. And now you put a mark at one point on the tape signifying the gravitational force. So right there at a, at a, at a particular point, you, you, you put a mark that signifies the gravitational force. Listen, if you were to move the mark just one inch in either direction, we could not exist. The earth as we know it could not exist. That's how precisely tuned the universe is. And there's, there's like 10 or 12 other of these things that, that all scientists now are agreeing upon that th this is the reality. This is the precision. Uh, there's obviously a great diversity of opinion on why it is the way it is, but, but they're recognizing that it's like this. The Bible says that by him, by Christ, all things consist and are held together. He is the one who upholds all things. So you see, when we start to get this picture of who Jesus really is, the thought of going somewhere else becomes, you gotta be out of your mind to think that you're gonna go somewhere else. Where are you gonna go? 
He's the Alpha, the Omega. He's the beginning and the ending. He is, everything comes down to him. The, the Puritan theologian, John Owen, he said this, and I think it's so fantastic. He said, this fact abundantly shows the folly of those who enjoy life on earth and yet oppose the Lord Jesus Christ. His own power is the very ground that they stand upon in their opposition to him, and all things that they use against him consist in him. They exist absolutely at the pleasure of him whom they oppose, and they act against him without whose continual support and influence they could neither live nor act for one moment, which is the greatest madness and the most contemptible folly imaginable. It's so true. When you listen to the rants of the atheists today, when you listen to those who are just so filled with vitriol toward Christ and the things that they say, Owen is so right. He said, this is the height of madness. It's like, you know, chopping out from under you the, the, the foundation that you're standing on. But it's not unlike what happened back in Daniel's day. Remember with Belshazzar the king? You remember what happened with him? He was blaspheming the God of heaven. His grandfather Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. He had brought those uh, vessels, the cups and the bowls and things that were used in the worship of the true God. And he brought them back to Babylon at a certain time. Belshazzar, many years later, Nebuchadnezzar's gone. Belshazzar's in power. He's having a party and he decides we're going to worship the gods of gold and silver and wood and stone. And we're going to use these uh, vessels that were used in Jerusalem. We're going to mock the God of heaven. We're going to mock the God of Israel. And they began to do that. And then you remember the story. Suddenly there appears a, the hand of a man writing upon the wall. And Belshazzar rightly is, he's scared to death. His knees begin to smoke together, it says. And eventually they call for Daniel and Daniel comes in. And this is what he says to Belshazzar. He says, the God in whose very hand your breath is, you have failed to glorify. That's so true today. You see, you can't take a breath without the permission of Jesus Christ. It's his heir. He made your lungs. You can't breathe. You can't do anything apart from him. And this is the point of the author. How could any of you think to go back to a dead religion? How could any of you think that you're going to go out into this world that's in revolt against its creator and find any fulfillment, any satisfaction, any peace, anything? No, you can't. He, it, it all comes back around to him. But now listen, here's where it gets even more astounding because the author is pointing us to the, the greatness of Christ as, the, as, as God the Son. But then he brings us to this when he had by himself purged our sins. And this is the most inconceivable part of it all. That this God, who is, you know, I'm, I am doing no justice to trying to describe, in trying to describe who God is. You can't. I mean, somebody more eloquent than I will do a better job, maybe, but we still, anyone is going to fall so far short of who he is. But this person, this God, who owns everything, who made everything, who upholds everything, this God 
condescended to become a human being. And not just a human being, but one who would come and offer up a sacrifice for sin. And not just any sacrifice, but we know that he would offer himself a sacrifice when he had by himself purged our sins. So he's the creator, he is the heir, he is the sustainer, and he is the redeemer. It's astounding. It's amazing. When he had by himself purged our sin, here's where the whole thing becomes, to me, absolutely inconceivable. Christ was at once priest and victim. Priest to offer the sacrifice and victim to bear the sin, which was a defilement that must be purged away. So he, he by himself purged our sins. You know, he did it. The fact that he did it. Of course, he didn't have to do it. He could have by himself obliterated us because of our sins. You know, it's an absolute statement of God's mercy and grace that the world keeps going on. It's an absolute statement of God's mercy and grace that God continues to tolerate sinners, that he continues to put up with people. But he doesn't just tolerate us. He loves us. And he showed it in that one great act. He by himself purged our sins. And having done that, we are told that he then sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he's the heir, he's the creator, he's the sustainer, he's the radiance of God's glory, he's the express image of his person, but he condescends, he comes down, he becomes a human being, and he dies a criminal's death, but he rises again, and he ascends back into heaven from whence he came, but now there's one difference. He goes into heaven as a man as a human being. And here's the mind-boggling thing. On the throne of God in heaven, there is a human being who is now sitting there as the ruler of the universe. He was always the ruler of the universe, but now he's ruling the universe as a human being who is also God. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. One writer said this. He said, the potent imagery of sitting on the cosmic throne has only one attested significance. It indicates Christ's participation in the unique sovereignty of God over the world. When we use the term God is sovereign, when we say, well, you know, God is sovereign, what do we mean by that? We mean that God is in control of everything. Well, whenever you say that, just remember, when you say that, what you're saying is that Jesus is in control of everything. That's what the scripture says. And notice that he sat down. And this is unique to a priest because one of the the author's points here is to show how Jesus came as a better priest. You know what the priests never did? The priests never sat down. They couldn't. In the tabernacle where they ministered and eventually in the temple that was modeled after the tabernacle, there were furnishings, there was a lampstand, there was a table, there was an altar of incense, you know, there was the laver, there were the different things. Of course, there was the Ark of the Covenant, but what you would not find is a chair. Why? Because the work was never done. The fact that Jesus sat down at the right hand of God was a statement that the work is done. 
And the fact that he, as a priest, sat down on the throne is another amazing thing because the Old Testament prophets said that the Messiah would bring together the priesthood and the monarchy. You see, under the Old Testament system, you were, if you were a priest, you were of the tribe of Levi. If you were a king, you were of the tribe of Judah. And those things never blended. They never crossed paths. And if anyone presumed to take it upon themselves to blend those two, there was a judgment that came. Uzziah the king, uh, at one point, he was the king. He was from the, the line of Judah. At one point, he thought, well, I can offer sacrifice. What's the difference? You know, the priest, I can go in the temple. He went in the temple and did that. He was stricken with leprosy. It was a reminder that you couldn't cross those two things over because they were reserved for one. And that's what Jesus has done, according to the prophecy of Zechariah, that he would bring the priesthood and the monarchy together in himself. And that's what he's done. But it's not a priesthood after the order of Levi. It's a different priesthood that he will, the author will talk about. It's the priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. And so he's sitting on the throne as our priest and as our king He sat because the work is done, but he also sat, as God said, sit at my right hand, the place of honor and authority until I make your enemies your footstool. And that's what's happening. And we're living in the midst of it. We are living in the midst of a process where God is making the enemies of Christ his footstool. He is subjecting everything to Christ. And we're going to see it realized one day. It's not here yet but you can be sure it's coming. And so as we think about these things, seeing the supremacy of the Son of God, the question is this, how can we do anything less than give ourselves entirely to worshiping and serving him? And if I'm not doing that, it's obviously because there's some sort of a deficiency in my understanding of who Jesus is. Because if you get this, there's no moving you. There's no moving you. If you get who Jesus is, if you realize he's the alpha, the omega, everything was by him and for him. You are by him and for him. If you realize that, of course, you're going to, if you're in your right mind, at least, you're going to respond by, Lord, how can I do anything but but worship you and serve you? And if you're not doing that, If you've drifted away from that, if you've been pulled away from that, if you're thinking that there's something else out there that I need to pursue or there's something better or, but you know, I've got these important things that I've got to do. It's you've lost sight of who Christ is and you got to get back. And that's what the author is telling these, these Hebrew Christians. And he starts off right here at the beginning. You're drifting because you've forgotten who this is. Christ is. Let me remind you so you can be where you need to be, where you you only should be in that place of total submission to him. And so uh, God help us to see Jesus for who he is. And And I really pray for myself and for all of us that as we go about our life this week and this month and over the whatever time we have left, that this kind of stuff will just be etched in our minds that this is the reality. And everything else that contradicts it, everything that opposes it, 
is just a brief thing that will pass and never return because everything is coming down to him. For the month of January, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. Isolation, distance, and conflict during these trying times have caused countless people to feel lonely and depressed. But for the Christian, the friendship of Jesus reaches even our deepest loneliness, and we can allow darkness and despair to drive us directly to Him. And when we come to Him, Jesus is able to match our every need with His mercies because He moves towards us with compassion. If you or someone you know needs to know the heart of God, you need to get this month's resource from Back to Basics. The book Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Hebrews. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.